Good morning. I'm having a little trouble walking. It's been the first time in several months that I've worn shoes, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, I don't know if you know what this is. This is a, a 2020 grocery bag. And uh, we've had these around the house. We have a couple of them. I keep one in my car, you know, so whenever I go shopping, I'll have a grocery bag because I can't always carry everything in my arms. For all these uh, weeks, I'd never even paid any attention to what was written on the bag until a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that's just crazy. All the times that I've carried this, I'd never even once looked at what, you know, from an advertising standpoint, and of course, uh, being trained as an artist, uh, from, a, from the perspective of design, uh, your eye can't catch hardly anything on this thing. It's just such a jumble of things. But for the first time, so sorry, I, uh, I read it. And uh, it says, friends are more important than money. There's a lot of good ones on here. Jealousy works the opposite way you want it to. The world moves at such a rapid rate that waiting to implement changes will leave you two steps behind. Do it now, do it now, do it now. Boy, we would all be better off if we would just read our Lululemon bags. But no kidding, friends are more important than money. There's, there's real wisdom there. I believe friends are more important than money. I might have been kind of, eh, a while back, but no, now I'm convinced. Friends, people, loved ones. In fact, at a wedding some years ago, a toast was made to the bride and the groom by the groom's brother, who was the best man. He had some beautiful things to say. It was a blessing to them. You know, he was really speaking words of blessing and goodness. And it, it inspired me to just hear someone <laughs> speaking so, so much good into the life of this couple, but he closed it with these words, which I've never forgotten. He asked, he raised his glass, he said, raise your glasses and let's give a toast to those, he says, to friends as dear as family and family as close as friends. Friends as dear as family and family as close as friends. I've never forgotten that. It's such a mental picture. It's not just a description. It's a vision. In fact, it's a biblical vision of shalom. The Hebrew word for peace. Shalom of the lion and the lamb. 
shalom of plowshares made from weapons. Peace is not something you discover. Peace is something we create. And it takes two. The Bible says it actually takes three. Two plus one. And that one is the author of peace. Our God who mediates, who creates peace where none exists. God destines peace. He destines it in the Messiah, in the Prince of Peace. Jesus himself is our peace. He's made us both one. He's broken down in his own flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new person in place of two. And making peace. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body. That is in one person. Through the cross. Killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens. You are saints. You are members of the household of God. Paul said that in Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 19. It's a good reminder as we turn to Psalm 122. For Psalm 122 is about pilgrims on the path to the city of peace. Did you know that Jerusalem, that word Jerusalem, that name, it means city of peace. Jeru, how, you know, how we say it, is, uh, it approximates the Hebrew for city, ear, Jerusalem, Salem, peace, city of peace. The pilgrims are on their way to the city of peace. We are pilgrims 
on our way to the city of peace. We are on our way to Jerusalem because Jerusalem represents the Lord. His house is there. See, everything that uh, mattered in the beginnings with the first king, the early prophets, you know, Samuel, Saul, and then the, the second king, David, who authored this psalm, we're told. David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within its gates or your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Everything was spatial. Didn't mean they didn't have any sense of the inner self, but uh, they really went to a place. They went to a temple. They did gather together. The scriptures were read. There were priests. There were sacrifices made. The blood was drained. The meat was eaten. The festivals were observed. The calendar the calendar of their lives were coordinated with the seasons and the moons and the rising and setting of the sun. Everything had a sense of, we're in sync with this. I say this because as we read this psalm, it's about Jerusalem, a place far away on the other side of the world. It's about a city that lived a long time ago, and a king a long time ago, and rituals and rites that were a long time ago. But you see, all of these things carry a truth that these pilgrims celebrated in the temple, in the presence of the Lord, in the king, in the thrones, because the kingship represented the authority of the Lord, but not just authority in the sense of I get to boss you around, but lordship, kingship, rule, authority in the sense that there's order and there's peace, there's justice, there's equity. We're safe, we're secure, there's goodness. In these things. If your parents, which are the first authority in your life, treat you with love, they set boundaries, they give 
rules because they want to prepare you as a child for the road. Some parents want to prepare the road for the child, but these kinds of regulations and guidelines and rules and boundaries are part of protecting and preparing. The Lord and his king make good rules. His law is good. These are the kinds of things that Jerusalem represents. It's where the Lord reigns, where his law prevails, where there is justice, where we can go and experience peace and togetherness and goodness in its richest forms. We're led in this psalm to think of David composing these words. We're led to think of the desires that filled David's heart, that flooded his mind as David visualized the tribe's of God's ancestral people making their way to the city of peace. To God's house. You know, before David, they had no city that was central to the tribe, central to the temple, central to the people of God. David danced when they brought the ark there. He led its entrance to the city he knew what this would mean for the people of God. If you can just imagine the kind of joy, gladness, sense of complete inhibition in the Lord to dance that way. I mean, even his wife scolded him. He's not just describing here. He's dreaming of what can be and should be. He's drawing with his own desires and aspirations the pilgrimage to the house of the Lord. The pilgrimage of peace, rich with the spirit of friends as dear as family and family as close as friends. He's not just writing, he's inspiring others to join him, to emulate him. How does he end this beatific vision? That is, this vision of such gladness and joy. He writes, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That good that comes with tranquility, with safety, with security. You see, David sponsors and fosters peace. He not only agrees with it, he pursues it. He has a heart that's shaped by peace. Everything that's said here about Jerusalem is captured in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus himself made public and plain 
notification that he himself was the temple. And if his temple was destroyed, he would raise it again in three days. Paul speaks of the inner life that is going on as we walk with Christ. We spirit bearers called the church. There is a work going on within us which is a part of the fact that Paul says we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of God. We are to be a people of peace. Even as we are representatives or echoes of the Jerusalem of the Old Testament, the site of the temple, where people gathered and experienced the presence and peace and goodness and virtue, which is just goodness with a blue ribbon, the virtue of God. I believe God put this in David's heart. God instituted, and we see it even here in this psalm. You see, God created this vision of David's, this peace that he speaks of, this city where we can go and be with God, which is now ours in Christ. He speaks of this when he alludes to and speaks of the covenant here in this psalm, the relationship is the covenant, the relationship we have with God. And the ark, which was the monument in which that relationship was deposited because it held the Torah. And he inscribed in the, in the Torah, in the, in the written form of it, the way God rolls, the way God acts and the way If you want to be a friend of God, it's just like any friendship. You have to spend time together. You have to grow together. You have to become like one another. You have to know God's ways. You have to respect them. See the dignity in them, just as he sees the dignity in you. And God creates it with the festivals and the thanksgiving and the celebrations of relationship. All these things are reflected here. This is the very heart and soul of God's relationship with his people. The ten tribes of the south and the two tribes of the north. And David believed these things that were instituted of God. Other kings, not all kings did. This psalm is an artifact of the shalom that David wants to see instituted in the hearts of the people because it beats in his own heart. King David is creating a culture with this psalm and it only works if he buys what he's selling. This last week in the morning, I get up early and I ride, drive in in the dark. There's hardly any traffic on the road. It's always easy to park and things like that before 5 a.m. But uh, 
If you listen to a Christian radio station, like I often have playing in the car, um, there's one station that always has a family radio, and they do interviews and things. And this last uh, week, beginning of the week, they interviewed um, Brian Loritz. I'd never heard of Brian Loritz. But his father is rather famous, um, and his father's name is Crawford Loritz. But I hadn't heard of Crawford either. Um, but he told this story. They were, they were slaves during the Civil War, her family. They trace their entire family back to slaves during the Civil War through the Bibles of that family. And Crawford is the pastor of a very large church in Philadelphia. And Brian is his son, one of several children. And he was being interviewed because he wrote a book and his book is called The Dad Difference. And he was talking about in integrity. And somebody that was interviewing him said, what is integrity? And he said, well, I'll tell you what integrity is. This is the way I defined it in the book. And he went on to tell this story about he grew up and he was a big fan of the Bears, especially Walter Payton. Walter Payton was his hero. He had posters all over his walls. And when Wheaties put Walter Payton on the box cover, he bought Wheaties, which he actually hated, but he bought them because Walter Payton was on the cover of that Wheaties box. And he figured, you know, if it was good enough for Walter Payton, it's certainly good enough for me. But one day when his dad was uh, doing the devotional for, for not just the Eagles football team, but also the Chicago Bears, uh, Brian got to go with his dad and meet his hero. And uh, he was brought in while they were eating breakfast, and there was Walter Payton eating uh, raisin bran. <laughs> and Brian says, he said, why aren't you eating Wheaties? He said, kid, I hate Wheaties. <laughs> and Brian was shook by that because he realized that he wasn't buying what he was selling. That's integrity. You buy what you yourself sell. You live by it. And that's David. We are to be peacemakers. The Messiah, the son of David, the prince of peace, began his ministry with an important sermon. It was on a mount. He ascended first and sat down. Then the disciples decided they better go up there too. As soon as his disciples got there, Jesus started speaking. He was waiting for them. He wanted them to hear everything he had to say. This is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed 
are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely, falsely, on my account. Rejoice. Be glad. Your reward in heaven is great, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. You see, right now, the whole world is having a bad day. The pandemic is global. Economic fears are global. Tough conditions are global. What's worse, in one corner of the world, gets swapped with what's better in another. And so it goes, do si -do. Here in the East, hurricanes, floods devastate. Here in the West, fires rage and devastate. Across our land, discouragement, fear, anger, rain. They reign. They rule. They wag the dog. They wag people's lives. And it's growing. Civil unrest, outrage, rioting, division, and depression. Pilgrims, this is prime time for peacemakers. This is what Jesus has prepared you for, called you to be. The Prince of Peace wants to be known by those who follow him, who bear his title as his people, as his children, as his disciples, as learners, learners of Jesus. That's what disciple means. This is prime time for peace that passes all understanding. Prime time for peace within us. Prime time for peace between us. Prime time for shalom. Shalom to be a coat of integrity. A witness to our Prince of Peace. A oneness with God. A oneness with one another that says peace be within you. For the sake of of the house of the Lord and God, I will seek your good. This is time for simple acts of peace. B 
Be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32 Carry one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 Help the weak. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 It doesn't specify their color, their party. It doesn't specify anything except human being. Take the path. Take the path. Make the pilgrimage. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. As pilgrims, we travel the path to peace. I got a text on Friday. In the midst of a textersation, I just made that up. Maybe it'll go viral. Who knows? I'll become famous. What are you doing? I'm having a textersation. Isn't that a conversation? No, it's a textersation. But in the middle of this textersation, someone wrote, you don't, describing me, you don't take anything for granted. You're a very appreciative, patient person. I read that a couple of times thinking about whether it was me that the person described. Whether it was true. Whether I lived up to the description. As I thought, I wondered if it was true and it was true in these circumstances, would it be true under other circumstances? Do you ever do that? You know, you say, somebody pays you a compliment and then you think, okay, in the life I'm leading right now, which is pretty cozy, I can do this. You know, I'm patient. I don't take things for granted. Are you like that? But then I think, well, what would happen if things radically changed? What if I lived in a third world country where I couldn't turn on the water or flip on the light or control my environment with a thermostat? Would I still be that kind of better version that a person is describing? Would I be this committed Christian? Would I demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit if the thumb of persecution, difficulty, or hardship were really on my neck? Would I stand up for Jesus if I really knew what it was like to have to live for Jesus as they do in Muslim countries? Or even in first world countries where secularism reigns, where secularism calls the shots, where secularism sets the agenda and determines what we see and hear. Two sparrows. We were sitting in the backyard and two sparrows came to the back 
backyard for the first time. We have a bird feeder. We like to sit in the lounge chairs and read. And I looked up, and there were two sparrows on the ground. I said, Shelly, the sparrows have returned. Did you know that the sparrows, they, they're kind of migrational? And uh, I thought they'd be around all the time, but they, they show up at certain times of year. I saw the sparrows, and that made me happy. I said, the sparrows are back. Because all the, the only other birds we get are blue jays and doves. So I was happy to see the sparrows. You know, Jesus said something about sparrows. He made, a, he made them the subject of teaching about the very providence of God. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? In other words, they're really cheap. And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows, than a pile of sparrows. There's a song that was written in 1904. 1904, my grandmother was four years old at the time. Sevilla Martin wrote, His Eye is on the Sparrow. She went to visit a friend who was bedridden. And she was in bad shape. She was in very poor health. And Sevilla said, are you discouraged? And she was surprised to hear her friend say, no, I'm not discouraged at all. For she knew that the same God who keeps tabs on even the sparrows would certainly keep watch over her. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your hearts be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. When I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. For care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. That's the song. I hope it spoke to you. It speaks to me. The refrain is, I sing. Because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. What makes you sing? 
a good political win? A, a good political defeat? You like to see your enemies go down in flame? You like to see your special chosen ones elevated? Do those things make you happy? Does it then upset you if things are reversed? His eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on you. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the one who died for you, whose love cannot be shaken, cannot be lost, cannot be traded. It's worth, worth everything and priceless. It's above cost and value of any kind. The peace we make within begins with Jesus Christ. Please help us bring peace to you. I do want to encourage you. We want to help you. We want to help people within our congregation and within our community, and we are. If you know of someone who needs help, needs encouragement, let us know. Let us know. And you should know we help people. It's a matter of making peace. Do you realize everything good, every virtue, Everything that we could identify under the umbrella of virtue and goodness, kindness, just start thinking of words, start writing them down, peacemaking, etc. They all come from God's love. And that's what we are to put into words, into action, and make peace. Bring peace and security because we have the house of God. We are of the household of God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all those who have gone before us that have beaten the path to your presence. And now you take up house within us that we might let the world see you alive in us and this through Jesus. Thank you that we can do this together and not just show it as one here and one there, but as a community devoted to you, empowered by you, and living for you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you.